0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and today's guest is Scott McKenna. Thank you, hey, Scott, hey. for coming on the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Dude, this is awesome. I've heard about you, I've seen your stuff for years, and I've kind of been following you online, on Twitter, um, but this is the first time we've actually met.
1: I know. I no, it's good to finally meet with you. It's we. It's weird how you have like internet friends and people that you kind of just chat with but half the time you never ever even meet them or even see their face <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's cool to do yeah this.
0: exactly well you're still not seeing my face because you're looking at the camera I know, lens. Technically, not the ca- yes you are not up the... here
1: but it would be so weird if people like i don't like those kind of interviews personally where someone's supposed to be talking to someone but yeah, you know you get what i mean yeah
0: we're, we're supposed to be professional content creators here we I look know. at the lens man that's what <laughs> we do around here exactly um so Scott, I, uh, yeah, I mean, this is really the first time we've met, so I want to hear your story. Like I've, I've seen your stuff with the uh, wedding filmmaker, with YouTube, um, mm-hmm. you know, bouncing around with different cameras. I really was following your Panasonic GH5, uh, ah, <laughs> uh drama. Yeah. The good <laughs> old days of all that. Um, that's kind of when I got started on YouTube and mm-hmm. you were doing a lot of content on the GH5, Um, but yeah, I mean, just tell me who you are, where you're from, what you do, how you started. Let's just, let's just get started
1: there. I was a full-time musician from 2000 and... Two until 2013 and during that time we used to travel quite a bit all over the country and I naturally music was my thing but I always kind of had a camera with me or always was doing something that was just recording the stuff that we you know had at the time obviously YouTube wasn't even in existence when we first started so all that footage to this day I don't even know where it is but I had like the little flip minnow cameras and I'd always be carrying around something with me so I could just kind of document life because I just thought it was fun. But I didn't really have many places to share it at that time. And then by the time YouTube came, I really still wasn't into YouTube or knew what that was. So I really just don't have any of the footage. But over the course of doing music and doing video and all that, I kind of started getting a little bit more into video, started to get a little bit less into music, just kind of the everyday just grind of, of doing colleges and festivals and bars. And I just kind of got tired of it. So I moved out to Arizona in 2010 and we... We're going. We were attending actually a church at that time, and they had this little like film crew that came in. Like it was a, I called a film crew, but it was like just basically what I would do these days, just kind of a small little crew of two people that were making some sort of little thing about the church or whatever. And I was kind of just intrigued watching them because I knew some video stuff, but didn't know a lot. Watched them do this thing, and I was like, I feel like, feel like I could. I could do that. Like that, that looks fun. Like I feel like I could do that as a career. And I looked on their website and they were making wedding films and I was like, well, that would be cool. Cause I could do that on the weekends. And I don't have to really worry about, you know, my day job, even though my day job was just music. So it really, I wasn't making any money at all, but I kind of just watched them. I learned a little bit about it. And just figured, Hey, I think I can do that. Cause I understood video. I understood editing. I kind of had done some of it, obviously over the last bunch of years. So I randomly, decided to just start doing wedding videos. And in 2013, I did my first one and then did that for all the way up until present until I just recently shut that down. But the I just kind of got into that, started doing it. Then I started, then I went full-time in 2017. And then I started Scaling Creative, which is more of the commercial video company. And then 4LC Studios was the wedding company. And I'm, then I'm just naturally like an entrepreneurial type of person. So from there, I have... I own a pressure washing company now and then I own a bakery and a coffee shop and then I do some YouTube stuff whenever I can too. So I just like to keep busy. That's kind of the, that's the the short version of the story, even though it wasn't super short.
0: Dude, I (laughs) wasn't, I wasn't expecting the pressure washer and baker part of
1: that. Everything. It's all, I'm all over the place.
0: That's common in entrepreneurs, just like you just, you see an opportunity to make money and you, you jump on it and it's easy yeah. to like overextend yourself and kind of spread oh, it yourself definitely too is. thin.
1: And to me though, it's weird because I, I'm not, I don't do it for the money at all. Like it, I, I literally do it because I just enjoy the the challenge of doing something different. And for me, more than anything, it's just the the boredom side of things. Honestly, I get really bored with things fast and I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs tend to get that way or just maybe it's just me, but I just naturally start something new because I just kind of, I know that eventually I'm going to get tired of something and I don't want to get to the point where when I'm tired of what makes me money, then what? So my thing has been like to... super diversify in in different industries and in different entirely different categories of things so that naturally one day if i get bored doing video i just go and i do pressure washing with my pressure washing company and then i run to the bakery and like it's just random but it actually keeps me from not being bored with one thing but also i feel like it makes me better at that thing when i come back because i can appreciate other sides of it it's not just like every day i'm behind a camera or i edit or i I just get kind of really tired of things and so it helps me to kind of Stay fresh.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, what what are some tips that you think uh, a lot of video and photography based creators who listen to the show can learn from that having kind of the non creative work yeah. as a is is there anything that you have talked to people about like finding little jobs or or hobbies that aren't even related to a creative? Yeah, I mean,
1: for me, I mean, obviously one one side of things that I like about obviously doing other things is. Diversifying incomes. I mean, I feel like COVID was obviously a big part, of, a big kind of uh, lightning or, or a light bulb moment for people to realize that you can obviously randomly lose incomes really quickly, depending on the industries you're in. So for me, that was part of it, of like, I wanted to obviously diversify income. So it wasn't just, you know, entirely on one company. But then I do think that there's, something to be said about a lot of times like people start kind of with a side hustle like photography or they start with video and it's kind of isn't their main thing they enjoy it and they kind of get into it and then they eventually start getting client work and client work and client work and then eventually they i think come to a point where they realize they're barely making anything for themselves and they're just making everything for clients only. And it's funny, because when you first go into a business, you're going in as or your own business, you're going in with the idea of like, I just want to have freedom. And I want to be able to do what I want with my schedule, whatever I want. And then as soon as you get more and more and more and more clients, you very quickly realize that actually all the freedom is really kind of gone to a point if you don't if you're not careful, because now you're working for 10 bosses at the same time, because your clients are the people that obviously pay you. And if you don't take care of your clients, then you lose your income. So it's this weird balance of, I think people really love the idea of being free in their time, but entrepreneurship really isn't that half the time. And being a business owner is kind of sometimes entirely the opposite. So, I mean, I, I love recommending to people that you do have some other things that you do in life, whether it makes you money or not, even if it's just a hobby that you make sure that you stay active with to just keep yourself fresh, because it can just entrepreneurship can be very lonely at times, because unless you have other people that are going through the same things, it's hard for people to relate to you. So I always recommend like having some sort of hobbies, I try to outside of all those things I said, I try to ride a mountain bike every once in a while. I really enjoy like mountain biking and I enjoy music and I enjoy other things that I try as much as I can to just do those occasionally, even though they don't make me money because sometimes it just gets hard to, to step out of what makes you money. And then you just don't do anything other than work.
0: How do you have a life with all this crazy stuff? I mean, you mentioned you have kids, you have a wife. Um, what's your home work life balance look like? How, how have you been able
1: to do that? I mean, I think I'm, I'm, I'm as good as possible with my schedule in terms of my actual calendar and making sure that, obviously, I know what I'm supposed to be doing each and every day. But I also try my very best to – I mean, I wake up with the kids every single morning. I spend some time with them before they go to school. And I try very, very hard unless I'm traveling or there's some sort of video project or something that I have to finish or whatever. I'm very, very – strict on i end my day at five o'clock or 5 30 and i at least give them five thirty to seven o'clock 7 30 by the time that they go to bed i always am there during that time so unless, unless like i said there obviously are, are days that that's not possible there are times that i'm traveling or whatever that's just part of life and my wife totally understands that but i'm not one of those people that kind of just tries to work and work and work and work and then just kind of say goodnight to my kids and then move you know go back into my office and keep working i'm I try my best to really be able to stick to times that I work and I'm very particular about not responding to clients when I'm not working because anything you do, anytime you respond at 9 p.m. to a client, you're telling them that they can get in touch with you at 9 p.m. every day because you'll respond to them. So I'm very particular about if I see an email come in or something or, or some sort of message late at night when I realistically might be right by my computer and I could respond to it. I don't I don't respond to the next day. So it kind of keeps boundaries. So people realize like, hey, I'm, you You are a client of mine who I very much appreciate. But I have to set boundaries or else everyone just contacts me at all times. And so I tried it my best to just get my schedule in place day by day to make sure I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I try to follow it. I have strict stop times. And then I work at night occasionally, depending on what my wife's doing. If she's watching, you know, TV shows or whatever, I'm not a big TV person. So she's, she gets so much energy by just, you know, sitting, sitting and watching a show every once in a while. So if she wants to do that, then I come back downstairs, I work and I kind of just, you make work, you know, work-life balance is like this weird, it's, there's no perfect formula to it. And you can't look at someone else's work-life balance and think to yourself, oh, mine's way off because what matters is what your spouse or your significant other or whatever, what your work life balance looks like in their eyes is actually the one that matters the most. Like I don't really care if someone else spends more time with their family than me. Cause I don't know. It's just, it's my life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I totally, I totally get that. No, that's awesome. I think having, having a, a hard cutoff time is really crucial. Uh, especially when you work for yourself, it feels like you can, I mean, time is money. So that means technically if you worked all day, you would maybe in theory make more money, but that would lead to burnout that would lead to unhappiness that lead to, um, especially if you have a family, a lot of issues with your kids, if they never saw their father. <laughs> so, um, you know, by getting married, by having children, you chose to invest in them and to put them as a priority. So, uh, it's important to, to do that. That being said, you know, when you run all these different businesses, um, it's like you're married to multiple things, essentially. You're not just married to your wife. (laughs) I mean, obviously you are. but Yeah.
1: And, and it is very, it's a hard thing for me too, because naturally I do enjoy working, but because of that, I can, obviously I can want to work more than I need to work. And I think I'm trying to get better and I'm not always good at it, but I'm trying to get better at just being better with my time that I have in all things, not just not just work but family and all that as well. I think that so many people always feel like they don't have enough time in their day, but it's really just because they're not very good with the time that they do have And they're just procrastinators. And believe me, I'm guilty of this, too. They're procrastinators. They're not good with their schedule. They're super easily distracted. And they have all these things around them that are letting them be distracted all the time. And I feel like some people should be able to get things done way faster than they do, but they just put it off. And then in turn, you feel like you're nonstop, like, I just don't have time to finish anything I needed. I need to hire. So I need to do this. And it's like, you might not need to. You might just need to get better at planning your own day because that could actually be the, the thing that's the issue, not as much <laughs> that you need more time. Obviously, it always feels like we need more time, but if you had more time, you might just waste that too. So it's, I don't know, just my thought.
0: Now, let's talk about the wedding thing. Um, the did you Are you the one that bought the Craig Adams thing?
1: Yeah, uh, I wouldn't say bought. Bought's not really the word, but yeah, Craig and I, we met a couple of years back and talked about him wanting to get rid of wedding film school. And I basically took over wedding film school. It wasn't a transaction of money. It was more of a, we were going to, we were splitting profits basically based on what the thing did. But shortly after that time is when I kind of very quickly realized, like, I just, I don't have a passion for weddings I don't have a long term goal for weddings. I was planning on shutting my wedding company down, which I did this year. So I just kind of was over weddings. And so I realized there was no way that I was going to be able to sustain the channel because how am I going to put content out of something that I just don't really care about much? So I basically was like, hey, you know, I just, this is not something I want to do right now. And then since then, he has now, I think, I believe he did have a transaction and actually sold it to other people who are now running it.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, um, I've interviewed him for the this show as well, um, and I've met him a couple times. Um, actually, no, I only met him one time at the Sony event, like an A6400 event, I think. Uh, it was right before he went
1: to Guam
0: or something, I don't remember. but Yeah, he was during traveling his, all over the place. <laughs> yeah, it was during his transition from uh, being kind of the camera gear, review, wedding filmmaker, minimalist guy, to then doing the travel film stuff and it's been it's been cool to see his journey on youtube now he's just crushing it with these long form uh very simple beautiful cinematic you know hikes and excursions and things it's really cool
1: and i think it's because he actually really enjoys it i feel like when when i look at a lot of other youtubers and people that are you know trying to make careers and things i think what happens is we get stuck in this idea of we know what would work for our channels but what would work for our channels doesn't excite us and then we end up i'm i'm in that place constantly with my channel because what i really enjoy the most about my channel is just kind of documenting my process i know that doesn't actually work well for my channel i know it's why my channel has such slow growth and i know my channel could grow so much more if i actually just was more of a tutorial guy or a you know behind the scenes guy that just it bores me to think about that and i think that's what I feel like Craig's done well now is he's actually really enjoying the hiking videos and they do well. So he's just actually really enjoying making them. And in turn, he's building a really strong audience with it. But I feel like that's difficult for people sometimes because I know with me, it's like what actually would make my channel do good. just doesn't, doesn't excite me that much. And if YouTube still to this day, the only thing that I really do just entirely for fun, like I make a tiny bit amount of money, but I just do it for fun and that's why I don't over, I don't care necessarily how long it takes me to upload between uploads, and sometimes I'll go on long breaks without realizing it. And it's the only thing that I don't have pressure on. And I fear the day that I actually potentially have any success with the YouTube channel, to because I feel like I will have to do things that like that fulfill the audience, and it's just like I don't know if I'd like that. <laughs> <I> <laughs> no don't pun
0: intended on the pressure thing.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah, um,
0: exactly. That's an interesting thing you said there at the end. And I, I'm curious about a year or I guess a couple years ago, you had a, a wedding um, tutorial video that was like an hour long. It was a day in the life of a wedding filmmaker. That video completely got hooked into the algorithm and just took off like wildfire. It's got a million views on it and it's an hour long. I'm very curious. I would love to look at your YouTube studio and see the revenue on that. I would imagine it's pretty good for well a long video. You want right? to know what's
1: Yeah, you want to know it's so funny about that video though. So there's a part I don't know, maybe 30 minutes in, 25 minutes or whatever. Where we we are outside and we are talking. We are doing the setup of the of the 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 ceremony, and there's this guy playing the violin in the background, and that violin, whatever he was playing, got picked up from a copyright for some sort of copyright thing and so the first probably 900,000 views of that video could not be I had to share monetization with which I never really cared about I never really paid attention to anyway but it I did all these disputes because I was like it's not you know the song or whatever it's a guy playing it. I don't really know how that's even getting picked up anyway and out of nowhere maybe like I don't know six months ago or so it finally like i don't know what happened it just like disappeared the monetization strike or whatever and it wasn't even a strike it was just like you're sharing the monetization or whatever and out of nowhere it just like suddenly dropped so only now am i actually starting to actually see money from it which is weird because it was you know it's got a million views and it barely made anything over the course of time because of that whole strike with YouTube, which I don't really even, you know, to this day, know what exactly how that worked or why, why it did that. But it's, it's like a weird, it was like such a weird situation. Cause like lifetime on that video, I've only made $750. Are you joking? Because of that monetization thing. And, and that actual, and in the last, <laughs> in the last, in the last year, it was 500 of that so oh, i made gosh. nothing yeah, okay. because yeah. of how because of that monetization thing oh that so, sucks man so and and I, I really didn't care at the end of the day because at that time I, I didn't really care about that I know, but it's but just the,
0: funny i feel like the watch time would be high the
1: CPM yeah the watch time is time's high. 20, 20 like 25 minutes or something like that but then i have other videos that have like two hundred thousand views that have made so much more money than that video it's just, YouTube is just a weird place, but like I've made, I've made three times the amount of money on a video that has done one fifth of the views that it's just, Interesting. just
0: wacky. Well, I guess there is an indirect way that you, I would imagine made money and it was through selling the course that is yeah. attached to that. Did that, was that successful for you?
1: Yeah, for sure. And then that's, the, that's ultimately like the, the whole thing is with how I look at YouTube in general, I've never, to this day, I never, I don't post videos on YouTube to make money from YouTube, I I post videos to build a bring attention to just my personal brand and kind of who I am, which enables me to sell courses, which enables me to have potential brands and things. But I look at YouTube as such a tiny, tiny thing in my life compared to like, obviously, all the things I have going on, that I'm just very different with YouTube in that manner that I never I never really pay any attention to analytics. I don't pay attention to how a video is doing when I post it. Like I post it, I kind of walk away. Then I respond to a bunch of comments from it. I just never really pay attention to it. It's the reason why my channel hasn't grown more because I, you know, don't put my you know titles and thumbnails are decided in real time during the upload of whatever screen grab half the time looks better, and then I maybe quickly throw something in Canva. Like I just don't have the time right the second to focus on it. And every single time I think to myself, man, I'm leaving opportunities on the table and maybe I should take it more seriously. Then I'm like, but then if I take it seriously, I don't know if I'm gonna have as much fun. (laughs) And It's like the scary thing for me. Like, that's why I always say like, I am not, I never call myself a YouTuber because YouTube is such an afterthought to me. And it doesn't mean that that's a good thing. It just means like, I don't put any thought into those videos like at all, other than the random times where I have a specific topic that I'm talking about, I don't script any video. Like I've never scripted a single video. I've never used a teleprompter. I've never written down any notes or bullet points. Like I just literally talk in real time. And then I kind of make the edit. And And so they're not as good as they could be. They're not as entertaining as they could be. They're not a lot of things, but I feel like I kind of, I don't know. It's it's just weird. Let me
0: pose a hypothetical to you. If you had a guy or a girl who um, was working for you for an affordable rate and you felt like it was worth, worth it, um, and they were encouraging you to make videos, and they helped you script, write, upload, and manage. Would you be interested in something like that if it was taken more seriously, like a business, or no? Yeah, I mean,
1: the tricky part has been I had like I have a full time person that works for just me specifically on my content and helps me shoot or edit or do whatever. He's kind of just an all around like Swiss Army knife type of person. The problem has been in in the current state of what my channel is where it's so much more documenting and it's more kind of Raw style, it so heavily relies on me even being in the mood to film. And one of the unique things about me is when when like I sometimes am super like extroverted and I want to hang out and I want to make videos and I'm having a lot of fun. There are other times that I just want nothing to do with people. And it's and it's this weird balance of if if I was doing nothing but just straight up tutorials, right, where somebody would script the thing and I'm going to review a phone or something or whatever, I could probably make something like that work because I could kind of just sit behind the camera and do it. It doesn't seem unbelievably fun for me to do that, but at the same time, the other side where it's much more, you know, document vlog type of style really relies on me needing to be like emotionally there to do it. And I just have a lot of days where I'm, you know, tied up from morning till night with all the miscellaneous business stuff that that's why I struggle so much with my channel. So it's like, I would love, I would, the the idea of having someone that really would be able to come up with ideas, create thumbnails, create all that sounds amazing. The problem is I just don't necessarily even know what my channel yet would be if I actually took it serious. <laughs> it's it's a really it's a really weird spot that I'm in because I have enough subscribers that I could take it seriously and potentially like maybe build it and do something with it. But simultaneously, all those subscribers have come from me not really necessarily putting a lot of effort into it. So it's almost like there's this scared side of like I don't <laughs> I don't want to be forced to care so much, but I do want to oh, care. Yeah. Like I don't, it's just it's tricky. Nobody's-
0: Nobody's pulling your leg over here. I think we. No, just... No, I know, but, but
1: but I always look <laughs> at it like, man, I I you know I haven't uploaded a video in a couple you know two and a half weeks because I've been working like crazy trying to do this thing with this new business, and that's also super frustrating though, to me because it's like, man, there's so many opportunities for more videos, and I feel like I'm missing out on opportunities, and it's just, but. I don't know. I think it's, it's... yeah,
0: entrepreneurship, business, it doesn't have to be just filmmaking. Maybe that's what you got stuck in your head about is like because you built a large following on filmmaking, editing and stuff like that, but you're such a round uh, you based on our conversation already, it seems like you have so many different things going on. You're really an entrepreneur who happens to do creative work that is part of your business, but then you've got these other things that aren't even related to yeah. to video. So documenting that and using that as basically using that as B-roll to teach entrepreneurship, I think mm-hmm. would be great. Tying that and that's into kind courses of what it's and gone business-
1: into. yeah, like that's that's kind of more what it is. Is entrepreneurship is really the heart of my channel these days. The problem, it's just there's a lot of people that came across my channel not from that. That that's what also is tricky. You know, there's probably fifteen thousand subscribers that came from the wedding video which is like i've removed every other wedding video that's actually on my channel just for that reason because i know that the wedding filmmaker is not going to love my channel for the most part
0: <laughs> so it's it doesn't a weird spot. it really doesn't matter it's it's not enough subscribers for that to matter if you had a million yeah. subs it'd be a different story so yeah, yeah. I, I think i think you could really just at this point you could do a shift and and make it happen so um but whatever you want to do i mean you don't have to no, take I it pre- seriously i appreciate it yeah no i think it's i, think I like hearing a...
1: outside perspective too because <laughs> some people don't understand like see the inner works of my life and so they don't necessarily know the the random challenges yeah. so it's good to hear from an outside perspective like <laughs> you have a lot of so people people find my channel obviously people find you from a certain video usually and that's usually what they're kind of potentially hoping to see more of and then you either really disappoint them because they that algorithm that, that you know a million people saw that and subscribe to their channel and then you know when there's nothing else wedding filmmaking they kind of feel like oh there's nothing there for me but at the same time I know that the only thing that I feel like rings true consistently probably for the rest of my life is is entrepreneurship and it's building businesses and it's doing things that filmmaking I love but it's like at th- these days it's one quarter of my life <laughs> so it's like entrepreneurship is the only thing that I feel like actually encapsulates everything that I do. And that's, so that's what I've been trying to pivot toward.
0: Yeah. I mean, it would take like some sort of uh, rebranding almost like I could almost see a YouTube trailer on your channel. That's like, I'm Scott McKenna. I started a wedding film business and had success with that, but I've also done blah, 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 blah on this channel, I'm gonna teach you how to be a business creative and an entrepreneur. Make sure to subscribe if that's interesting to you. And then sell courses and then boom, you're mm-hmm. you know, making a lot of money selling courses yeah. on entrepreneurship.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. I mean it's it's all uh I'm i always, I'm always, <laughs> I'm always, I'm always
0: like, tr- I love just like talking shop with people. So I yeah, hope no, that doesn't yeah, come across it. too weird. No, but, no, <laughs> I, I think whatever that. you want to do at the end of the day is what people love. And uh, that's why people, you know, love your content. So just keep, keep doing what you love. And I can totally relate to the whole getting bored thing. Um, mm-hmm. I did the gear stuff for the last four years. And then um, at Indie Mogul, I was doing the filmmaking, uh, gear stuff. And I wanted to get out of that. So I quit. And um, now I'm back to doing gear again. <laughs> it's something that I can't get, a- get away from. I'm just obsessed with gear. And uh, I love it. And I do see it as a way to actually have a sustainable income uh, for me. So um, so yeah, that's why I'm back doing it. It's not something I necessarily only wanted to do, but I had to kind of come with t- to terms with like the fact that this is what I'm really good at. And it's authentic to who I am. And people like watching it and people want to pay me to talk about it. So I might as well just do it to like pay my bills and then if I can get it up to a successful state, then I could try something else. So, yep, no. And that's um, the
1: problem with me too, is I, I love gear. Like I'm obsessed with gear too. I just always am fearing that like, I might not one day care as much about it. And then I'm suddenly <laughs> like, ah, crap. It's like now <laughs> all these people expect gear reviews and I'm just tired of gear. But I, cause I love gear more than anything. Like I, I love, <laughs> I love new camera stuff. I'm always getting new computers and iPads and testing. Like I'm a yeah. gearhead too. I just, yeah. Struggle with what, what, specific direction to cater the content to
0: yeah it's once I discovered YouTube though it really did free up my mind and and creativity just because when you're doing client work your client is the boss at the end of the Mm -hmm. day like you come up with a a great pitch or a great you know treatment for a video and then they're like that's a great idea let's do this boring uh talking head (laughs) video instead (laughs) you know Uh like geez, okay well um, and then once I discovered YouTube, I was like, wait, I can just make whatever I want, sort of, um, mm-hmm. you know, within the algorithms <laughs> uh, preferred thing and then, uh-huh. you know, finding a niche or whatever. But
1: And that is hard. I think I, I really like recently I was watching one in Matty Hapoya, video, his videos, and I really liked this one thing he randomly said, too, which he, he was talking about how. A lot of people say that, you know, they create YouTube just for themselves and because they want to do it, which is kind of what I naturally always say, too. But then he was very smartly saying, like, if you actually were filming and making something just for yourself, you wouldn't post it on YouTube because you wouldn't care for anyone to see it. But he said, but if you're actually trying to post something on YouTube, you want people to see it. And if you want people to see it, you kind of need to pay attention to the things that are actually making sense and working on your channel, too, which I was like, that's a good point, because it was really (laughs) just about me. And only about what I wanted to create, then I probably wouldn't care for people to see it. Like, it's just it's, <laughs> yeah. weird thought.
0: Yeah, it'd be mostly f- uh, video of your family and,
1: and yeah, friends exactly. and stuff, right? Yeah, it yeah, <laughs> was most boring, boring channel ever, but it would be like exactly what I want. Yeah.
0: And even uh, like the, the, of course, the old Casey Neistat um, kind of era when he was vlogging every day. Um, yes, he was vlogging his day, but it was very, uh, strategized and and Mm -hmm. the story structure was very thought out. So, Mm -hmm. um, he was making short films every day. He wasn't necessarily just vlogging, whatever, you know? Yeah. He did it better
1: than anyone. I mean, the, the way that he was able to tell stories creatively that were, essentially a boring thought or story and somehow making that into a vlog was was and then doing it every day was just beyond impressive like i think he changed he changed every i don't think anyone will ever be like he is again from that like there's a lot of people that have you know been able to stay consistent with daily vlogging and all that but not to the level of what he was able to do every single day was just it's just ridiculous
0: well, I mean, yeah, that's why he had to stop because his marriage yeah.
1: was suffering
0: and his life was yeah. suffering from it. So, yeah. Um, and now that it's been several years since then, uh, he's had multiple interviews where he's he's kind of shared the issues with it, and um, I think everybody kind of noticed or or at least kind of thought to themselves like, this isn't this probably isn't healthy, and it, it turns out it wasn't.
1: So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no way. I mean, how yeah, how in the world do you do the amount like he always see he said i've seen a bunch of those interviews too about how you know you'd spend six seven hours editing and then every single day you'd wake up thinking about what the story was going to be and just filming and filming and filming and editing like that's not sustainable for anyone. And that's why it's also super important. Even in entrepreneurship, I've realized it's sometimes so easy to look at an entrepreneur or aspire to be someone that you feel like is really successful, like from the outside, but you don't see the inner workings of anything happening. And in my opinion, like it's not a success to me if I build $10 million businesses and I have a failed marriage and my kids don't see me, that's not a success to me. So I'm kind of, I, I just try as much as I can. And honestly, what I try to portray in my channel is that like the reason why I try to pull more of other stuff in and my family, different things is to try to show people that like you can have successful business and have a very enjoyable life and still pay attention to those things because it's really easy to just see the person that's just looks like they are just crushing it, but not realizing that their family hates them. And they never see them, and they're dying on the inside and then you see all these you know suicides and all these different things from people with mental health and all that it's like people don't see the inside of the inside of people and like it's not it's not success to me at all if you were to say ten years from now for me to have twenty million dollars in businesses and uh, and no family around like that's that's not at all what I'm trying to do, but you have to be careful as someone who really enjoys your work because naturally you don't look at it like this might This might be a bad decision down the road. You look at it like I'm just enjoying it and I'm crushing it. And my family is going to appreciate how hard I work. And they're going to be so thankful that I made this money for them and blah, 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 blah. When like my wife would tell you, she'd prefer I would shut down every business except for one. Barely make enough money that we could survive just to have me in one spot and be be fine there. I don't I can't thrive that way. Like it's just impossible, like the way my brain works. But like it's not that's not important to her. None of that stuff's important. She's unbelievably supportive, but she would not care at all if the businesses didn't succeed, if we still were able to just pay our bills and just live a, you know, a very very minimal life.
0: (laughs) Did she come from money? Did her dad work a lot?
1: Yeah, she came from a family where her dad worked all, his, her dad worked all the time and played golf all the time. It was basically mm. never home, yeah. and so, so she, and then, she
0: fears and, that you would become that.
1: Yeah, and then right. worst case, and then you know the worst thing that happened is that three years ago she lost her mom to breast cancer. So she mm. lost the only person that was actually there all the time, and it went to you know her dad kind of taking over that and didn't fill the role at all and is basically barely existing in in the family in life so like i think she yes he's from an even different perspective now of like that's you know this success now granted she's the most supportive person ever like we have a great relationship she everything i do every business i purchased or started we have good conversations on like i don't I don't just be like, guess what I did today? I bought a bakery. (laughs) Like we have conversations about this of what it looks like and why it makes sense and what the long-term plan was. I really try to write out like what my sustainability, all I try to do in all my business is, is, is build teams and build sustainability that I'm never having to be the one that's relying on in the first place. That's how I operate everything. I don't operate. I don't, there's a reason that not a single business I own has my name in it whatsoever. Not, they all have their own names. They all have unique, they have staff, they have different people because I don't ever want something to fully rely on me because I do like to be able to play golf and hang out with my family and go on little vacations. And I don't have the the ego that needs it to be, you know, the Scott McKenna company or whatever. I just, I want it to actually be able to operate fully without me because that gives me long-term sustainability so that even if I don't care to do video anymore, or I don't feel like baking, because I don't like baking, the companies can operate without me and I can just use my scaling creative brain. I look at it like my scaling creative video production company, Five years from now, I think will be nothing but a video production and marketing company for my businesses only. So you won't even be able to hire a Scaling Creative to do video work for you. I'll just use what I know and what my staff can do to build the content for my businesses to thrive and not have the client. So I'm the only client Scaling Creative works for, and I we just make video for all my stuff. That's kind of my long-term plan.
0: Yeah, I mean, the only business with your name on it is the YouTube channel, but that's not a business mm-hmm. according to you. Mm-hmm. So Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and it's it's hard to scale that yeah i mean like mm-hmm. um if your name is the the brand how do you i mean i used to work for dave ramsey do you know who he is yep mm-hmm. um he has had a, a really hard time finding his replacement he was trying to john acuff was supposed to be the dave ramsey uh <laughs> replacement mm-hmm. long term and then I don't know why you would hire a guy who wrote a book called Quitter, but um, <laughs> after like two years he quit or whatever. And um... no,
1: and and it makes it tricky. I mean, you look at a lot of those type of personalities. You know, the Howard Sterns of the world and the people that like you can't put someone else in his seat and be like, "Welcome to the Howard Stern Show" with this host. You're like, well, that's not the Howard Stern Show. This is like it's just a name. So I've always looked at it from the very beginning to build a company. It can be entirely just a one man operation, but just having a brand name behind it rather than like your personal name allows you to pivot because for scaling creative with all my video production stuff. Now it's very clear from day one when I meet with a client and when they hire us that don't expect me to be filming or editing all your stuff. It doesn't mean that I won't be. It doesn't mean that I, you know, might not, I might be there most of the time. I might not be there at all, but you have to, you're hiring me to trust that You believe that I can train people and put people in place to create what you're hiring us to create, and it's not about me. And then I just use my personal brand to build those companies from the beginning, but I don't necessarily make it so that it's obviously relying on me. And I like it way better because I'm able to – when I go away for a weekend or a week or I'm gone or whatever, it's not – okay, I contact all my clients and tell them we're not going to be able to do work for them this week because I'm traveling. It's like, no, it's still going to be operating just the way it always was because I probably wasn't doing the editing anyway. I mean, I only do probably 5% of the editing that comes from scaling creative as a company. I I barely, barely touch the editing and I love it because I don't love editing. (laughs) It's just, it's not my favorite thing. I like meeting with clients, pitching things to clients, getting excited about ideas, making things happen. And then... And then, kind of being like, "Cool, my team will take it from here." And then we'll talk next month again, and I'll give you some more ideas, and we'll keep like I like the ideas. I don't necessarily love all the execution of of all the things.
0: I like coming up with the ideas and performing. I don't like, um, I don't like the. I like shooting a little bit, but I'm not a huge fan of the of editing. But I do enjoy being a part of the editing process, especially when it comes to humor and. My stuff is always I always try to make it as funny and entertaining as possible. So I have fun with that. So um what's your gear setup right now? Did you switch from Panasonic? I think you've switched to Sony, is oh, that yeah. right?
1: I've i I've switched a bunch of times. Um our current, yeah. current issue. You're on all Canon Sony.
0: for a while. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we went we went from the G H fives to a full C two hundred setup. So we had three C two hundreds, all Canon lenses. We liked that setup. It worked good. There were some things we didn't love about it so we ended up at more of it was the, like size more like the, just the because the majority of the work we do is more running gun style raw style we just wanted a little bit of a smaller quicker to grab and go type of rig we really loved the c200s for like their everyday we love the ergonomics of them the look of them the feel of them we like the result we got from them so there's really nothing that we didn't like about it other than it was just you know we had to piece it together we had to get it all ready it just felt like it kind of took longer than we hoped so we switched to the FX3 so we use we have 3 FX3s as our as our main cameras and then we have um an A7S3 and I have an A7S3 for my vlog stuff and then we have an additional A7S3 which is like my backup for my vlog stuff and just the fourth camera in our rig if we need it because it obviously ZV1, matches right? the same to the thing yeah and then the ZV1 is a little like in my pocket it's a type fun- of Camera. it's a fun
0: little pocket camera yeah yeah um, but that's all yeah just all sony the, and then
1: all sony lenses
0: i guess if you got if you switched over to all those cameras the c70 existed around that same time as well why did you not go to the c70
1: i mean i just like the stabilization and the autofocus in the sony stuff right now i just think is unmatched i mean i think that i think the gh5 and the gh6 probably have obviously even better stabilization. I don't think anyone does stabilization as good as as the GH5. But when you're talking about an overall camera from a size perspective, a reliability perspective, a image stabilization, an autofocus, a just workhorse. I mean, there's I feel like there's not much that competes at that exact price point in my opinion. Like the 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 FX3 which I don't know how much it is now, maybe four thousand forty two hundred dollars 3700 I don't, I don't have a clue, but regardless at $4,000, let's just say, it's just an amazing camera for the type of work we do. Like it's so small, it's so portable. It can run forever. It can be plugged into USB power banks to just charge remotely and never have to worry about it going dead. It's never going to overheat on a UHS. Like I have ran that for, seven eight hours straight of events all three of them never had an issue the autofocus is as good as I feel like anyone has in in a camera system so it works great for me now it's not necessarily the best camera for everybody that's what I think I always try to tell people is like when I share what I'm using I'm not saying you should use it I'm just saying it's what I use because the type of work we do makes a lot of sense there are things that I that aren't necessarily good for everybody, depending on the size, depending on the type of work you're doing, depending on how much you care what even the camera looks like in general. There are some people in certain fields and certain parts of the country that you show up with a smaller little camera and the client doesn't love it, <laughs> like just because they have a bad perception. So, like, there's I realize there's factors that go into things, but for us, for that rig, I mean, with everything combined, it's probably twenty thousand twenty five thousand dollars total for our entire rig of cameras lenses all that kind of stuff i feel like it's it's an amazing setup for what doesn't feel like a massive price point for all it can do
0: have you found that the color has been kind of solved now with sony i feel like the uh kind of the older like the original a7s3 had pretty terrible skin tone and um, mm-hmm. it was kind of a pain in the neck to have to color grade it it was you could obviously fix it and get it close but that's always the been the Achilles heel of Sony um I personally yeah, I mean I don't feel, feel like it's yeah I, mean, I feel it. like it's
1: been great I mean we use for the most part we shoot a lot of the, just a lot of the stuff just in like s city tone just a very clean out of camera look that we're very very happy with we still can grade it a little bit but once again it's the type of work you do matters and because so much of the type of stuff that we do is quick delivery quick you know turnaround stuff for things it just it it works really well for what we do because we value getting something as good as possible straight out of camera right away and then getting it delivered as quickly as possible to our clients. We're not a big production house from a standpoint of like we have, you know, five days worth of shoots and then we do one video a month and that's what we deliver and it takes us seven days to edit. Like we're a we're a content creation company, that's what we call ourselves. So we, we're usually shooting for a day and we're delivering, you know, twenty, thirty pieces of content from that day. We want run and gun, we want fast, we want easy. So as tone has been great for that just really clean out of camera we also will use s log 3 depending on what we're actually shooting but i've i've loved the color from them i feel like what, what we've been able to dial in works or it's exactly what we would want it to look like and it's just an easy camera to use and it's got a lot of buttons and it's got a lot of like customization that is exactly what we specifically care for
0: now that the r5c is out uh do you regret your switch or no? No. Nah.
1: I mean, gr- granted, I haven't used the camera either, but like, I'm, I'm kind of at a place now where I feel like it would take a lot for me to completely switch systems again. I mean, you know, we spent a lot of money and thing changing things around. I feel like the R5C looks like a good camera. I've never been crazy about you know the some of the Canon codecs and the different things that they do and the way that they. Some of their file stuff, I've heard lots of issues about since since they've gone to like with the 5D Mark IV and the different things that could be fixed at this time. Ever since we left, the oh yeah, yeah, that's that really
0: that's been fixed for a while. Yeah, yeah, they don't do yeah. the motion JPEG anymore. Yeah, and exactly. also the so that's
1: yeah. So I mean, I'm I'm sure most of that kind of stuff is fine now. It's more just that there's there hasn't been anything that I've been using with the FX3 that has made me be like, man, if I if only there was a camera that did this i would like it just it it kind of does everything that i want that there's nothing i don't even do a lot of slow-mo but i mean i still have 4k 120 i still can do as you know it's everything just works so well that i just haven't had any reason to even look at what else is 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 happening but it's you know i'm in i'm in a different place now than i was yeah
0: I think it's so easy for all of us to get wrapped up in the gear and i mean at the end of the day you could still be fine with a canon 80d if you really wanted to so um if you are lighting things well and have good audio you could easily get away with like a thousand dollar camera yep or obviously the gh5 which you used a lot and you Mm -hmm. and loved it's still just as good now as it was then
1: oh yeah so yeah it's lighting is still everything and it just depends like i said the, the type of work that you do depending on on how you shoot things and how you light things and how you, like that really is what plays the biggest factor in what camera you really need and it's just but it's this you know catch this this uh, keeping up with the joneses thing that i think you can get your, yourself in trouble with if you spend a lot of time on youtube because everyone will always tell you that the new camera is the best of the best and sure it's going to continue to get better and better but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have it because I think people also way too often use, especially on YouTube, use the excuse or people that want to get into YouTube, especially like they, they use the excuse of, well, as soon as I get that camera, I will start to create more as soon as I do this. And it's like, then they get it. But then the next video comes out from someone else about this new camera. And then they're like, yeah, see, the problem is if I had that, then then I would create. And that's you're just never going to catch up with that. It's just you're <laughs> that game. You'll you'll always be from behind when you're when you're thinking about that.
0: That being said, I I have been using the C70 for over a year now. That's what I'm mm-hmm. using right now. Um, I've really enjoyed it. It's a great workhorse. Um, you know, I was thinking about going to Sony, but um, I love the built-in NDS. I've got great mm-hmm. audio built-in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but everybody has different needs. I wish I had, I wish I could take pictures. (laughs) um,
1: There's no uh, perfect camera, no perfect camera at all. It's all about, yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing is you could, you could take every single camera and I could tell you certain things that I'm not a big fan of and including the ones I have. So it's like, there's, there's always, you're always going to sacrifice something for something else. And it's just a matter of what is, what is okay. Me not having, even though it'd be nice to have versus what do I have to have? That it's that's what it comes down to.
0: Computers, you have switched over to the M1 Max uh, and Apple Silicon. Um, how has that transition been for you and what software do you primarily edit with?
1: Yeah, it's been good. I, I have the 16 inch M1 Max. It's been amazing, it, it's been really, really good. I mean, I spend such a little time on my computer other than when I'm editing video, I use my iPad more than any other tool that I have. Because unless I'm editing video, that's the only thing I really do on my laptop. But we had it primarily in Final Cut. We have Premiere as well. Premiere, Premiere. Right now, we really only use. I really like their 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 captioning new captioning platforms yeah, that they have built it's in. Cool. It's very very good, and for the type of content that we create, it actually works really well to be able to like bring a finished video into there I I still don't really like editing as much in Premiere just from just because I'm I'm used to Final Cut and I've been using it for such a long time that I'm very very efficient with it but we will bring a finished piece of content into Premiere and do the captioning and let it do the transcribing and let it and change it just makes that process very clean and easy so I like that so far we've been messing around with the new little remix tool they have in there which I think is super cool it's so I think that they're now that I have the M1 Max and it can run premiere without a problem. Obviously I've absolutely used it more in the last you know couple of months, I should say, because I'm not, I'm not saying to myself, this is going to crash and this is going to like, it's been from a reliability standpoint, it's been no problem at all. I mean, we still edit mostly in final cut for most projects, but premiere is definitely getting better, which is good. It's getting at least more reliable, which has always been a thing, the thing that yeah. plagues <laughs> that.
0: Yeah. I've, I'm primarily a Final Cut editor. Um, been using it since day one, since the since X came out. One of the one of the few people that switched, you know, eleven years ago from seven. And uh, my editor now is using Premiere to edit for me, and so I've been kind of diving in there, kind of finishing up um, the projects. He'll he'll take it to like ninety percent, and then I'll kind of finish the last ten percent with little tweaks and color things, and it's just. We could XML it over, but it's a big pain, so it's just easier to just kind of do it in Premiere. And I haven't opened Premiere in a couple of years, and I've been also really impressed with um, the captioning feature, like you said. Um, and then that the music mixdown thing is crazy awesome. How, yeah, it's
1: pretty, it's pretty useful, especially for the kind of work that we do, <laughs> like fast can content.
0: You, can you explain to the listeners what, what that is? Because um, this is the, the first remix time I ever... Tool. Yeah, I kind of heard about it because my editor, Connor... Was using it, um, just explain it to people because it's a really yeah, cool feature.
1: Basically, what it is is it's just using, you know, the wave files basically to take a look at what a song is doing. Obviously, songs have beats and they have they have volume getting you know you can look at a wave file in music bed even and be able to look and and know what the song realistically is doing you can tell when it's getting when it's getting louder when it's getting softer when it's hitting big beats so it's using this just ai however they've created in the software to basically take a file and to say i have this this video that i made and it's 52 seconds long and you can tell it to basically cut a song to that length you can say i want it to be 52 seconds long and it will automatically cut up all these spots like we've all done before when we edit we normally are trying to take an edit and we're trying to say like hey that the we actually needed to end here so let's just grab the very last beat of the song and make that end there and we're trying to smooth things out and cross fade. and you could do it for the most part but this tool is kind of just like it's doing it all by itself and sure it's not always perfect but it's pretty darn good to be able to say i want it to be this length and i want it to have more you can i, I forget that the terms of what they use of how you can choose what you want the song to kind of to do but it, it is incredibly impressive from a standpoint of just taking repurposing content, if you had the, you know, a YouTube video that was three minutes long, and you made a one minute version that you wanted for Instagram, to be able to just hit a button and have it kind of just create a 60 second version of that song. And you can look at different variations of how they even do it. It's, it's really, really good. And I think it's super helpful for the people that do content in multiple places, because you can kind of just let it do its thing. Some songs it does really, really well, like you would never have probably been able to create it the way that it did other times there's little tweaks you need to make certain songs obviously work better than others but it's pretty impressive and right now it's still kind of in like a beta so it's it's going to get way better but it's it's pretty came from audition adobe audition had it first and then it, it got integrated now into premiere and it's definitely a smart thing because final cut definitely doesn't have something like that and this is a world where it's all about i have an edit that's 33 seconds long rather than you know Thirty seconds, or it, and you just, boop, and it just does its work.
0: Yeah, I, am I can't tell you how many hours spent over the years, probably, you know, doing that manually, trying to mm-hmm. find um, the verse or the chorus, and like yep. lining it yeah, up right, all your right to the beat, yeah, and crossfading it, and you know, start. I would cut the cut the ending out, put that at the exact end so that the music ends where the video ends, but then trying to make that work. Often just like fading in the music at the beginning in a less natural way so that it ends well. Um, Anyways, yeah. And if you're not a musical person, I grew up first actually as a musician like yourself, I I assume. So um, it helps to have a little musical understanding. But if you're not a musician, I would imagine it'd be very hard to learn. What a chorus is, where the beat is, understanding yes, temp- tempo and all that kind of stuff. So,
1: and that's clearly, obviously, who they're going after because obviously, you know, more people than not don't have great, you know, tons of musical backgrounds. So, like, yeah, someone who's into music, it's easy for us to create those kind of things and make up our own music for things. We've done that all the time, but like, if we can get a tool that even makes it quicker though, that does kind of what used to take us, you know, a lot of cutting and pasting and moving things around. I'm all for it if it can sound natural and I think it definitely is helpful for the people that don't obviously have a background in that because that's it's it's what comes so naturally to me as a musician when I watch certain people edit and try to make those transitions you're like oh okay I guess it's it probably is a little trickier if you don't really understand <laughs> what the music's doing and what chord they're actually hitting and being able to transition that makes is is very very good.
0: So if somebody's starting out right now in video production specifically what are some things that you would you would say to them in terms of how to get started looking for clients uh, building your portfolio should they get into youtube even if they don't want to be a youtuber Um, i'm just curious to hear your thoughts based on your experience with all this Mm -hmm.
1: i mean i would say two things the first thing i would say is you should spend as much time understanding how social media platforms and all those things work as much time as you do actually making videos for people in general. I think that the way that we are moving in a world of attention and getting clients to have success with videos and all that, in my opinion, it's becoming less and less important to be able to produce a good looking and good sounding video, it's more important to understand how to actually get them to have success with the video. And I think that if you were amazing at getting at understanding how social media worked, you could start a video production company and dominate tomorrow by simply teaching people how to shoot on their phones or to use your phone yourself as your as your main camera more than you could more than it would make sense for you to have a red tomorrow and try to start a video production company with no experience. Because I don't care what you shoot it on, if you don't get the client to have success with the video that you do, you will you will lose ultimately. Because at the end of the day, these videos that are going viral on all these platforms and that are getting brands a ton of attention, most of them are not high quality videos. They are videos that were shot on a phone that did what needed to be done to get attention with the algorithms. And it's just, I think people overvalue needing to have a certain camera at a certain quality, and they forget that you still need to make sure that you understand where they should put this and how to build a strategy for someone. So I would say that, yeah, sure, you get, get good cameras and get anything you can afford or whatever and start to you know try to make things look as good and sound as good as possible. But depending on the type of work you're going into, I really just don't think that that's the future. I mean, I think the future is these devices that we have carry around in our hand are getting so incredible in video At the end of the day, they can do the same job that a good camera does if you actually have strategy behind it. So I would say just really understand and learn social media and learn marketing because I really feel like that's what separates my company or other companies from other ones is that you're not hiring us necessarily just to produce a good looking or sounding video. Sure, we can do that and we understand how to do things. Are we the best in the world? No but i feel like we understand where they should put their videos to help them to get success behind it and so and then regarding the youtube thing i think i, I think everyone should start a youtube channel especially if you're doing video it's a no brainer that you should have a youtube channel for yourself or your company but even more yourself because it it goes with you anywhere you go but it's just a great outlet to practice it's a great outlet to potentially make a career out of it. There's tons of people obviously that make careers out of YouTube and it's an amazing, amazing thing that it's even possible. But you usually will get yourself in trouble if you go into YouTube tomorrow as a brand new channel looking to make money because it's obviously not that simple to just start tomorrow and make money on YouTube. You have to have strategy behind that too if you actually want to have a legit career with it. But yeah, I mean I think everyone should do it because it's it's your portfolio it's the best portfolio you can have and, you, and it's in front of trillions of people like every, every every year like it's just unbelievable the amount of hours that people are watching that you can you no longer have any sort of thing that gets between you and the audience if you make something good it can do unbelievable and change you know one video can change your <coughs> career on youtube it's crazy
0: yeah, you got you got a little taste of it with that that one video, right? I mean, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, what um one cautionary tale that you could leave with our listeners too? Anything any big mistake that you made in your career, or if it's a, a series of mistakes or something that you're currently even still struggling with and working on, uh, just any anything that you can share that would be helpful to somebody based on your experience as an entrepreneur.
1: I think we I mean we kind of touched on it earlier, but it's simply the idea that you have to be careful that you don't overwork and that you don't aspire to be someone who you don't really know what their life is actually like. There are so many people that want to be YouTubers because they see a YouTuber doing these crazy cool videos and all they think to themselves is like, man, that would be the life. Look at all they they get to just travel and they get to do all this kind of, you don't see the behind the scenes of what goes into it or the work involved. You also look at all these entrepreneurs who have failed marriages and have terrible depression and all that, you have to be careful and you have to stay in your own lane and decide to you what is actual success to you. There are so many people that if you said to them, If you can make a hundred thousand dollars, would you be content and would you relax and be able to just work less and they and most people would be like, absolutely, that's all I want. I want to have my freedom and I want to do that. Then you make $100,000 and you have your own business and then you're like, ooh, it would kind of be nice to make even more and it would kind of be nice to make even more and look what I can do with this money and this money. Then eventually you're making a great salary, but you're having to work your tail off just to maintain that salary because you now are living a life that needs that salary and that's where you get yourself in trouble. And then you get in this never ending race of trying to chase after the next big opportunity, the next big thing, the, the bigger income, the bigger opportunity. And then ultimately you're like, remember I got into this because I actually just wanted to have some freedom. And now I lost every bit of it. Cause I have so many things going on. Like I face that on a daily basis, just challenging myself with that. And all I would tell people is to just really try to set, a goal of what you want your life to look like your ideal week, your ideal year, and then start going after that thing. And be okay when you get there. Just don't chase the next thing. It is extremely hard to do. But it is natural. When you have success in something, you naturally look at it like, if I could make that work, imagine what I could do next and next and next. And it gets tiring. It gets really tiring chasing after it. And and I think people would sometimes be a lot happier if they made a smaller salary and they just could clock in and out of a job at nine to five and be super content having all their weekends than the opposite. But people think that it's just this unbelievable joy ride of like, man, it'd be great to be my own boss. It's not always that great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. I, this last year I worked for my cousins. They have a wedding film business, Amy and Jordan Demos. Have you ever heard of them, by the way?
1: No, I don't I think, think
0: so. so. Okay, they're photographers, so, um, but they've they've made a very successful business selling courses in that in that space, um, and they hired me, and that's how I got out of L.A. I we were, I was living in L.A. Mm. doing the indie mogul thing, and then we moved to Nashville. Now we live in Nashville, Tennessee, um, best city and- in America. you think so you like Nashville
1: I love love Nashville actually I like Frank I think (laughs) Franklin is my favorite city in America actually sure yeah Nashville I would would, would, I'd live there in a heartbeat if I if I had any family like near it because they would just I'm from here it'd be a pointless move but I love that's my favorite place in the country
0: that's amazing anytime you're here well let's get some hot chicken and hang out um lots of great music obviously being Mm -hmm. a musician I'm sure is one of the reasons why you love it here but yeah Franklin Mm -hmm. has gotten so ridiculous um in terms of the busyness and uh, it's getting very overcrowded (laughs) and the cost. Yeah. It's gone up to California levels, honestly. And it's kind of like, why would I pay that to live here? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. No, but um, anyways, it's just great to be back. And I think if you're an entrepreneur and if you're a freelance creator, which I think a lot of people who listen to this are, but there are people who have a nine to five who listen, who do a creative thing on the side. Um, it is hard to like mentally, like the idea of going to a nine to five and being done is great, but I don't know if I'm wired to do that. Uh, I, it seems that you're not either. Um, no, absolutely the, not.
1: I'm not. But at the, I have no. to say, I, but there are certain times that I think about that. I'm like, could you imagine how nice that would be? Like, Could you imagine closing your laptop at 5 p.m. and being like, see you tomorrow? Like it's like, I can't even fathom that. That's in, like, but I also know that if I did that two days later, I'd be like, this is the worst thing ever. Like, So I know, yeah, how, exactly. I know that it's that's just, it's how it is.
0: God, I think God makes people different for every reason. Like uh-huh. entre- entrepreneurs need people who can do the nine to five to, to make uh-huh. sure that their businesses run successfully. Yep. Yep. And pe- people who are working in that environment are completely content and they don't want the stress of an entrepreneur. So, It's one isn't when I was growing up because I grew up in a very suburban kind of standard country, you know, Mount Juliet, Tennessee, it was pretty country redneck area. Um, I was definitely an outlier in terms of being a creative entrepreneur type. And um, I just wanted I just basically felt like I was better than everybody else. I'm like, you guys are idiots. Like, this is, why would you want to work at a bank? You know, (laughs) like, so, but then as I matured, I realized, wait, no, no, that was completely the wrong attitude. They are within all their rights to be that way. And they are completely content. And I'm jealous of that in a way, but it's also not bad for me to be the way I am. Like I was kind of made fun of for being different, you know, growing up in a less creative environment. That being said, of course, Nashville is a very creative space, but where Mm -hmm. I grew up, not so much. Um, So sometimes it's it's so
1: interesting. No, it's I literally saw someone the other day is like someone that had like an iPhone six or something or seven or whatever. And I literally thought to myself, like, I am so envious of the person that can not care at all about like the tech. Like literally, like I looked at him, like and like the phone was cracked. Even my wife, like my fo- my wife just got a new phone, and hers was like it's been cracked in the back and on the front for like two years. It's been it like the battery life is terrible. She never complained about it. I'm like I literally am jealous of people <laughs> of people that can like that just that that doesn't matter in their life at all. Like it's crazy to me. Like I'm just like man, that would be so nice. Everything seems so shiny and new and exciting to me. Like I can't even imagine. What it would be like just not caring. Like that would be so awesome. But it's just, it's not in me and it never will be.
0: I think our wives would get along because my wife is the same way. And it's funny. I don't know about you, but I, even when we started dating, I noticed like she was using this really cruddy PC that was just awful. It didn't hold a charge. It was just like a $200 Walmart, you know, PC And I bought her a a used MacBook at the time. It was like three or four hundred bucks. It was an older one, but like I was like, you have to like use something else. And then she had an old Android phone and I like helped her get an iPhone. And like she just got a 13 as well, but she was rocking an old phone. Uh And like I'm the one doing all the upgrades for her. She's just she's not like at all saying I need to upgrade my phone. I'm like, it's been three years. You need to upgrade your phone. Like, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and she's like it's, whatever I'm, I'm i'm content i'm like yep, i don't want deep. you taking pictures of the kids on a three-year-old phone that's so. what
1: that's exactly that was my justification too as i just said you take all the pictures of our kids and you need to have a newer camera and a newer phone and she's like i don't need it i'm like i know you don't but the, your photos need to be better like it's, you take them all so that, that was literally yeah. my justification that's the only reason why she was okay with it honestly because she was she can care less about that it's a little bit slower than my model like she yeah but she does she does like the cameras being good like not that she cares yeah. about them but like she she definitely knows that they look better than the other cameras
0: <laughs> that means that like if you if you wrap up like right now how the 13 is did she get a 13
1: yeah she got it so, yeah, yeah 13 my wife is yeah, well. 13 pro <clears throat> i
0: Actually, think the no, image is 13 are, yeah i think yeah they're the perfect candidate for yeah. just a 13 right um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think the image the image quality is great the skin tones are great on the new 13s uh, i have a 12 pro I, I actually didn't feel the urge to upgrade from a 12 pro to a 13 pro this year yeah. Um, but that being said i've noticed the color science is a little better on the newer ones mm-hmm. Um, but yeah we need to have that same attitude in three years it's like okay we're we agree that the 13 is good enough like in 3 years if they're still content we don't need to force them to get the 15 <laughs> <laughs> but it's all about so, comparison
1: it, it, yeah. when you when you see the 16 and you see how how good it has gotten because that's the hardest part about tech right now is it just it gets so good that what seemed so good 2 years ago now seems like a potato in comparison because of just how <laughs> because of how good that that's the hardest part about tech it's like the it's just the stuff has gotten so good that it's hard to sometimes be okay with it because you're like, man, but look how good that has gotten.
0: There will be a point. We're still not there yet. I still really don't think we're there yet, but there will be a point where the phones do start looking like real cameras. I, I understand. Like, of course, every new phone comes out, people are like, this camera versus the Alexa, and I'm, I'm yeah. guilty of that. I did, I did yeah. those comparisons too, and you can get it to look really good, but at the end of the day, it's still. Like all phones still look like a phone, so yeah, there's, cause this, uh, yeah, the
1: sensor, the sensor size matters.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if we're g- gonna get there anytime soon, but I think there could be some interesting computational photography stuff going on that could get us pretty dang close. Yeah, uh, we're no, we're already pretty close, but when that ha- when that time comes, then it, it'll be a worthy <laughs> upgrade.
1: So yeah, we'll we'll see. <laughs>
0: cool well Scott McKenna thank you so much for coming on the Golden Hour podcast it was a pleasure meeting you and, and having this conversation so thank yeah, you for your time yeah I appreciate
1: you having me